it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast, the hottest podcast out there called the Tim May Podcast. You agree with that, don't you, Awesome? It's number one uh, on the charts, number one in my heart. All right, there you go, ladies and gentlemen, an endorsement by Awesome. You know him as Austin Ward. Well, his mom and dad know him as Austin Ward. You probably know him more now as Awesome Ward. And uh, uh, Awesome, we're going to come back, you know, after our visit with my guest, Jim Lachey, Former Ohio State All American, former first round draft pick of the of the uh, San Diego Chargers, former All Pro with the Washington Redskins, a man who never gave up a sack to Lawrence Taylor in in quite a few meetings, et cetera. Uh, we talk about he and I are going to talk about the offensive line at Ohio State and other things that were interesting from this past season that was so punctuated by COVID nineteen exclamation points. Uh, but before we get there, I, I do want to alert people that you are going to come back. We're going to talk about a few things about Ohio State, including uh, we do we do understand there's going to be spring drills of some sort, just where and when uh, remains to be announced, I do believe, more than anything else. Uh, the, uh, it could be an interesting spring uh, in, in many regards. And then, of course, I'm going to touch on you getting to play Pinehurst number 2 and various other golf courses in the central North Carolina area last week. Uh, your, your game for that, right? Yeah, it, it beat the hair off my face. So uh, that was that was an experience. <clears throat> wow. So you played the razor course. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Boy, margins there, razor thin, ladies and gentlemen. That's uh, right. But uh, we'll be back in a moment. I had a great time talking with Jim Lachey. I've known him, shoot, since at least 1984. And I've watched him progress as a player. Uh, then is a pro, an NFL pro, and then came back to uh, Columbus and suddenly became the analyst for Ohio State football broad- broadcast. And I think he does a, a really great job with Paul Keels. I think it's a pretty good team, and I think uh, most people see that as the traditional team now with Ohio State football, right, Awesome? Absolutely. Two, two fantastic guys, two guys that are really good at their craft. We've talked about this before, Tim, with other – you, you drive around the country maybe on a Saturday and hear other college football uh, broadcast teams, yeah. you're not going to find anybody better than these two, in, in my opinion. I, I've, I've listened to a lot of them. They do a great job of, you know, calling what they see and not what they, uh, you know, might hope to see. Yes. And that's, that's tough in their position, but I, I've always admired uh, the work that they do. Yeah, absolutely. They're they're pretty damn objective for the home team uh, broadcast crew. That's for sure. And uh, you know, one of these days I'm gonna have Paul Kills on this podcast. We're gonna talk about a few of those things. Some of the uh, there might be some, some stories between Paul Paul Kills and Tim May. They could one podcast might not do enough. Yeah, well, it might be have to be a series. You know what I mean? A, a groundbreaking series. Uh, but we'll see about that. But you know what? I'm getting the other half of that uh, broadcast crew on right now, ladies and gentlemen. No, with no further ado, here's my conversation with Jim Lachey. As promised, ladies and gentlemen, for the first time ever on the Tim May podcast, but nowhere near the first time he and I have ever spoken. Uh, uh, Jim Lachey, former Ohio State All-American, former All-Pro left tackle for the Washington Redskins. Welcome to the Tim May podcast. 
Well, great to be with you, Tim. And you're right. This is not the first time. Our past, unfortunately, we've crossed since the early 80s, which tells us that we've both been around for a long time. But uh, really appreciate all your work that you've done, obviously, over the years, uh, covering Ohio State. And, and it's always great to see you in the press boxes, home and away. Now, it's been a while. It's been a year. But uh, we're looking forward to getting back on that beat again uh, this fall, coming with the 21 uh, season. So a lot to look forward to after last year's. Uh, exciting uh, year, I guess, you know, with the ups and downs of everything. But uh, the Buckeyes, again, won the Big Ten four years in a row, got a chance to go in the playoffs, and uh, were able to take it one step further in that championship game, but certainly yeah. weren't happy with those results. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was on the Paul Feinbaum show last week after I had him on my podcast, and and we were kind of talking about those kind of things. How are, how are Ohio State fans, uh, Buckeye Nation, dealing with that lost Alabama? And I go, well, you know, the funny thing about it is it hadn't seemed as strenuous as you would think or as uh, as catastrophic as you would think because the a week and a half before they had maybe the greatest victory in postseason in their postseason history in terms of just dominating a team and a, and getting Clemson off their back. It is kind of an odd feeling, isn't it, coming out of that season, Jim? Yeah, yeah, it is because number one, uh, you know, coming into the season. I think Buckeye fans knew that they had Justin Fields, probably one of the top quarterbacks maybe in the history of the program, what he was able to do during his two-year stretch. Although 20 was a shortened season, was incredible. Uh, you know, the way he put the, – the way he started 2020 was just fantastic. Now, certainly some interceptions creeped up there against Indiana and, and uh, at the end of the year against Northwestern. But for the most part, just an unbelievable chart-popping performance all year long. And – you can say that really about the whole offense. I mean, that offensive line was pretty stout. Now, I'm still a guy that looks at sack numbers and don't like to see Ohio State being ranked in the bottom half or the bottom third of the sack ratings, you know, given him protecting the quarterback. But, you know, overall, that offense with the wide receivers they had, uh, with the emergence of Trey Sermon, uh, we know Master Teague was going to be there. You hope coming back from the injury, and he was, but what Trey Sermon was able to do start with Michigan State and onward was incredible. So it was, it was a fun year to watch. And certainly the defense got tested all year long. And, you know, that's when you lose as many great players as they did from the 19 class, you, you kind of knew that that was going to be the case a little bit. But, again, they got to they accomplish the goals that they wanted to accomplish except that final goal, and that's winning it all. And that's the high bar here at Ohio State. Uh, you know, I, I think, again – Going back generations uh, in the 80s, the idea was to win the Big Ten and play in the Rose Bowl, and that was it. Uh, th yeah. That was our only expectation. But, yeah. uh, you know, it's just it's just one of those things where the expectations for these players, uh, you know, again, Coach Trussell brought that. He won the championship in 2002. Uh, you know, certainly when, when he left, Urban Meyer came, won it in 14. The expectations for this generation's fan is, is not – the same as it was, and it's even higher now. So it's, you know, it's a tough position to be in uh, at Ohio State, but it seems like they've keep exceeding those goals each and every year, except for that final one. Yeah, you, you think college football though is bitten off a little more than it should should be chewing in, in the in the sense of win it all, or it's been a little bit of a disappointing year. And I'm talking about you know not necessarily yeah. uh, for the lesser programs, but for the big for the big programs, the elite, the blue bloods. That's that's really a tall order, isn't it? I mean, uh, it's it's national championship or bust. Well, look around the country. Look at Texas, uh, national championship or bust. They've been yep. through several coaches searching 
you know, for that for that goal. Uh, you know, Mac Brown was a heck of a football coach for a lot of years, but all of a sudden wasn't good enough at, you know, losing three or four games a year. He had to move on, went down to North Carolina. Tom Herman obviously let go. So it's not just Ohio State, it's around the country. Yeah. Every conference, you see it in the SEC, obviously the Big 12, the, the, the Pac-12 has kind of been, you know, off the charts, but every once in a while when USC was very, very good, those, those were, you know, the, those are the kind of teams that could win it all and, and did win it all. And now Notre Dame is back into it. But I think it does, you know, certainly not every player uh, that goes to college football uh, in all three divisions is going to, you know, get an opportunity to play for national championship. But what are they going to get a chance to play for? Well, you get a chance to play with a lot of great guys that are going to be lifetime, you know, friends. You get a chance to get an education, you get a chance to be around great coaches that likely will be a mentor in your life, you know, some way. So there's a lot of pluses, but sometimes that win or nothing uh, mentality sometimes creeps in. But you got to just think of the whole, the whole big picture. Uh, you know, for the Power Five conferences, yeah, it's like that because they're playing their coaches four or five million a year on average. So you expect a big return on that. Uh, now, you know, these other schools, you kind of look at it maybe like, hey, let's, let's, let's make sure we're, you know, get this player developed as best he can be. So maybe if he is a good player in our conference and our team, he has a shot uh, to go to that next level. And, you know, that I think everybody's goals in the, are a little bit different, but, but certainly number one thing everybody's going to get are the three things that I talked about early on. Yeah, it's just in, in – in my opinion, it was kind of a bonus if you were considered in the national championship hunt back when I was growing right. up in the uh, right. you know sixties and seventies, and and even when you were playing in the eighties, like you said, man, I'll, I'll never forget the first year I covered started covering Ohio State football as, as a beat as a beat writer was nineteen eighty four, which happened to be your senior year, and you guys had that ridiculous season where you lost two games in the Big Ten and still won the Big Ten outright. You know, still the only we'll be the only team in history to have done that probably, but. Uh, uh, you know, I'm talking about before you had the playoff. You know, the, uh, right. the Big Ten title game, and uh, you guys going to the Rose Bowl. That was that was terrific. I mean, I'm thinking, man, it's cool covering this beat. Uh, you cover them. There's a lot of drama involved, but you still end up going to the Rose Bowl and blah blah blah. And of course, they didn't go back to the Rose Bowl until 1996. Little did I know, right? But right. Uh, I just think it's. I don't know. I just think this idea that you got to win it all, or you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a disappointing year is way out of whack. And uh, uh, I just think it, that was sort of the bonus, you know, the cherry on top of the on top of the Sunday way back when. But I wanted to ask you this, Jim: uh, uh, as you look at Ohio State right now, and you look at the offensive line, it's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here. Uh, mm-hmm. They lost two big time players, you know, Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis, committing to the NFL draft. Uh, opting out and not opting out. Heck, they played, but uh, moving on yeah. to the NFL draft. Uh, just what's your take on what's coming back there? And you and I spoke about this. I wrote a story at lettermanrow.com quoting you about things. You know, they've, Ohio State's rarely been in this, maybe never been in this kind of situation with what I call uh, playable, uh, uh, legitimate depth on the offensive line. I mean, it's it may be better this year than it was last year. Just what's your take on that? You know, it's, a, it's always a good thing when you got a lot of 6'6", six, 310-pound six, guys that all look alike almost. <laughs> they, can, they can play guard, they can play tackle, they can play center if need be. Uh, so, yeah, they, they've recruited well. Uh, you know, that was an area that certainly you want to be strong in as an offensive line because that's going to make that all those skill positions shine out there if you can give those guys the time. And, Greg Stadora's done a fantastic job, not only recruiting guys, but then taking it to that next level, you know, developing those guys into being 
outstanding players. And, uh, you know, that's fun to watch. You know, the, the seasons that Wyatt Davis had back-to-back was, you know, I would say probably the top two guard seasons that I've watched in a long time here at Ohio State, the way he was dominating guys, physicalness down the field, getting to that second level and taking, you know, the defensive lineman to the second level and deposing of the linebacker. That's fun to watch. Uh, I thought he was a heck of a player. I could see it in practice. But, you know, he's had, he's got a lot of good years left to him, and he'll get those years more uh, in the NFL. So he's got a bright looks, but he's been physical. And then, yeah, the guy's coming back. Um, probably the big surprise was Thayer Munford. But, again, you know, he wants to graduate. He wants to be the first in his family to graduate from college. And, again, that is a fantastic goal. That should be every player's number one goal. Sometimes – that slips away, but for there, you know, that's good to see. We saw Matthew Jones come in last year, really played an impressive job at guard towards the end of the year. Wyatt Davis was nicked up a little bit. And then he saw Nicholas Petit-Fierre over at right tackle really blossom. And when both our tackles were out, we saw Max Ray and Paris Johnson get a chance to play, uh, you know, and, and do some good things out there. DeWan Jones, uh, you know, got an opportunity there against Michigan State, and I thought – Played as about as good as you can do. Certainly, Trey Sermon thought so the way he ran that day. So, yeah, yeah. it was to see the depth of the guys they have right now. Um, it, it's impressive. And then they got some young guys that are just, you know, kind of nipping on the toes of those guys, waiting for their opportunities. Uh, you know, Vamahi's another guy that's his name's been in the discussions and scratching on that two deep, maybe into that starting lineup. So, we'll see, have to, you know, again, this spring, if they have a, a true type spring situation to see how these guys develop. That was kind of robbed of those young guys. I mean, it's one thing to have these Zoom conferences and things like that. Heck, we maybe found out it's a little bit convenient, more convenient now than, than things in the past. But there's nothing like that practice that you need as an offensive lineman. Uh, you know, it's one of those jobs. It's really not a fun to go out and practice to be an offensive lineman. But when you play games and you excel and you're dominating, yeah, that's a lot of fun. Practice, you know, I'd rather be the quarterbacks and the receivers catching the balls or, you know, something like that that is actually fun. But when you stick your hand in the dirt and you got to fire off and play four to six seconds with great intensity, uh, you know, that's something you got to train your mind to get after and do it. They yeah. miss that. You don't get that, uh, you know, through those Zoom conferences. You actually have to go out and do that. And of course, the great, uh, the proverbs of the Chinese proverbs say you got to do something a thousand times just to be good at it. So, you know, they've missed a lot of those reps that need to gain. I, I think it's actually 10,000 times, Tim. Yeah, I think it is 10,000 <laughs> times. It might be. I, I can't remember uh, Kill Bill Volume One, how much it was. I'm trying to remember. Uh, but, uh, you remember when she took uh, when she, Uma Thurman took all those lessons from that dude, you know? Uh, yeah. But I digress. By the way, we had a little bit of a broad we had a little bit of a broadband uh, hiccup there in the middle of your soliloquy there, and I think you were talking about Josh Myers when it kind of faded out. But you know, really, broadband has just now reached Marble Cliff, right? I mean, am I mistaken? <laughs> been here a while, yeah. Here a <laughs> I'm while. just messing with you, man. I'm, I'm just, just got feed the squirrels oh just laughing over you know one little one little hiccup there but believe me we've had many hiccups on the tim may podcast hey real quick though you touched on something i've written about many times or quite a few times spring football is 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 is, is as much for the linemen as as or maybe more important for the linemen 
than anyone else on the football team because that's the only time you really get to put on your pads and go at each other. And that's the only time you really practice real football, right? Of that and preseason yeah. practice. And it is it is kind of vital for a team to get if you've already missed one spring, you got to get some kind of full spring in this year, don't you? Don't you, Jim? Yeah, no, no question about it, Tim. It's, you know, I go back to my experience at Ohio State. Your freshman year, and again, we were there all summer working out and stuff, but there's no coaches. I mean, yeah, we work out on our own and things like that. Then all of a sudden you go there in August and, you know, we have an orientation three days where the freshmen are just there. And then all of a sudden, boom, the whole team comes in and, you know, you're in five weeks of training camp and they're introducing two or three new plays a day. So you remember the last ones, you know, and all of a sudden now it's Thursday, you got like six new plays and you're, you know, it's just like, it's mind boggling. You know, you, you can't catch up. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's Michigan week. You're playing the team up North and, you know, hoping for a bowl bid and, you know, Ohio State, uh, my freshman year, we beat Michigan. Art Sleister, of course, gets a touchdown. Vaughn Brodnick's with a fabulous block, 14 to 19. Offensive uh, juggernaut in that ballgame. Yeah. Uh, but no, you get the win. And then, you know, we find out that we're going to the Liberty Bowl because Iowa, you know, some arcade rules hasn't won the tide and, and they got to go to the Rose Bowl of the year. But it wasn't until, Tim, I got to that march and I finally knew the plays like, okay, I'm not guessing anymore. You know what I mean? I'm not having to think, okay, it comes second nature. So then as a lineman, when you get in your stance and you're not, okay, what do I got to do? And you're trying to figure out everything you have to do. Now you just get out there and do it. You know, you just do it. You take the right steps. You take the right angle. You got your helmet on your right, uh, you know, uh, aiming point, so to speak. Everything's just the way it's supposed to be. And then it becomes a fun game. But it takes a while. And, again, that doesn't happen. It did happen for me my freshman year. Like you said, I, I I got a chance to play in every game. I think I led the freshman in playing times. So most of that was on special teams. But, you know, you get a chance to go out there and compete. And, uh, you know, that's the most thing about it. And then the game all of a sudden slows down. And for those freshmen who went through it, they really never got a chance to slow down because, you know, next thing you know, they're doing all these drills. But, again, there's, you know, non-contact, keeping people away, you know, because of the pandemic. Uh, it made it tough to have a true spring. So certainly I think this year is important uh, coming into 2021, especially with a lot of the young guys at the quarterback position, most importantly, that need yeah. those vital game-type reps. Hey, give me a short answer here. Who do you think will end up being the quarterback? I mean, I, I keep getting that question. I want to get I want to get input from other people to, to give me a better answer. You know, I, I keep telling everybody, well, I just go by what my eyes tell me. My eyes told me that when Ohio State – Got in a tough situation last year, and Justin Fields had to leave the had to leave the field for a couple of plays or so. I'm talking about late. C.J. Stroud went in, right? So, yeah, same thing I saw. Yeah, I mean, you don't just turn around and flip a coin. You know what I mean? I mean, when you're a coach, you're you're looking at you remembering what you uh, you know what you've seen in practice, et cetera. But uh, how tight do you think that's going to be this uh, spring, uh, Jim? That that battle. I mean, especially with the the freshmen coming in too. I mean, but you got Jack Miller the third and C.J. Stroud sitting in there. They've They've been there for a year, but hadn't been a regular year. You know what I mean? Cord may have a shot. Yeah, you know, exactly. And if I'm Ryan Day, I would open up to everybody. Um, you know, certainly what they did last year was last year. Now it's this year. A chance for everybody to be on even footing and go out there and compete. And certainly my eyes were just like yours. I, I saw C.J. Stroud come in a couple times, even – you know, I think that Michigan State game, I believe it was, I thought, well, this might be, you know, a chance we'll see, uh, you know, Gunnar Hoke, uh, you know, a guy that, you know, yeah. has some experience, has been around. We saw that uh, in times last year, the year before, but no, it was C.J. Stroud. And in, in the championship games, you saw that too. 
So, yeah, that, that kind of says that they have some confidence. They've seen something from him in practice. And then what else says something about it, Tim, was when you got, you know, guys like Chris Olave, um, you know, certainly had a fantastic career here at Ohio State coming back for another year to add to that fantastic career. I think he sees something in practice, too, out yeah. of those young guys. Uh, and whether it's C.J. Stroud or not, Jack Miller, or Kelly McCord, we don't know yet, but certainly you think that they see something in that room that is encouraging for those guys to want to combat and compete for another Big Ten championship and a national championship. Hey, I want to ask you a couple of things about you before we get out of here, but uh, uh, now, but I wanted to get into this. Uh, from a lineman, purely a lineman standpoint, who is a guy that maybe you're, you know, excited, man, to move the right word, but very curious to see how he's going to step up this year? I'm talking about – other than like Thayer Munford and Nicholas Petit Frere uh, and uh, Harry Miller, you got to figure Harry Miller's going to move into center. That's what, you know, that's what you're thinking. Mm-hmm. You, Luke Whippler, like you and I talked about the other day, you know, he, he caught their eye last year. Uh, you know, there may be a competition there, but who's just kind of interesting to you that you've got your eye on this spring? Well, yeah, I think Harry Miller, I want to see how – I thought he started pretty good and then maybe evened out and then maybe went downhill a little bit, Yeah, uh, which happens sometimes when you're the first-year starter with these circumstances. But I know that he's a guy that's going to come in and compete. He's proven that and play hard. I still think he's got another growth process in his game. DeLon Jones always fascinates me, man, because he's something you can't teach. He's B-I-G, big, you know, and he's real big. And when you're six, seven, six, eight. 340 pounds can move like him. Man, you teach him how to bend the knees, get that Z in the knee, and then strike and explode. Look out. He can do big things. It's a game of leverage. If he can bend his knees and explode and, and get low and, and come off, there's not going to be anybody can handle him. Uh, you know, because he's got those long arms. There's just certain things that, well, you see, and they, whoo, that would be fun to coach that because he's got a guy that I think, again, has a high ceiling, the way he moves, uh, the way he came in and compete. Um, yeah. You know, that's a guy that I would like to spend some time with because I think he could get really good. The little bit you saw Paris Johnson Jr. last year, do you see the hey, five? Do you see five star in him? Do you see was that is that legit? And uh, I mean, like you just talked about, there's a we just talked about that earlier about the death, but there's several guys that are chipping at the bit to play. You know, they, yeah. this, like I said, this could be a very interesting spring uh, competition wise on that line. Yeah, those are the two guys, too, where things will start to slow down this spring, understanding the playbook a little bit, the keys, all the things that happen. You know, there's a play, but then there's an A, B, and C off of that play that you have to understand all those little small points of it, and, and yeah. that'll start to flow for him. I thought I was impressed to go, again, Paris getting some opportunities. Um, you know, I believe it was against Clemson where he got a chance to come in there and was playing as, about as physical as you like to see a guy play at that young age, so – Again, yeah. with this year, the way it went, not getting an opportunity to play a lot of good guys on a consistent basis, this is an opportunity for these guys to play. But when they did get a chance, when they did get a chance to go under the clay light, so to speak, and play, uh, it was good results. So they yeah. got some positive things on film. They can watch themselves the whole offseason, understand what they have to do this year to go out and compete, and, and that not only be a contributor, but to be a guy that goes out there and dominates. Anecdote. Here's an anecdote. Tim May, uh, Jim Lachey. I got invited to a uh, luncheon lunch with you and Lee Steinberg, your uh, yes. newly newly signed agent, way back when uh, in the uh, spring of early. It was before the draft, 
Well, it was right around the draft in 1985 when you ended up being a first-round draft pick of the San Diego Chargers. Uh, yeah. But I'll never forget, it was at the uh, Downtown Athletic Club here in Columbus. And when I showed up there, I didn't have a jacket on. And I don't think you had a tie on. And so we were both told you had to – remember, you couldn't go in the, the lunchroom without a jacket and a tie right. on. So you right. got a clip-on tie they put on you. I think it was about this long. <laughs> and they gave the me Colonel a jacket. Sanders. They gave me a jacket right out of the Barty Fife collection. And I go, yeah, this looks a lot better than just me sitting there with a with a shirt with a tie on. But uh, you remember that, don't you? Oh yeah, you know, and I do. Um, you know, I, I got a chance to interview a lot of different agents. Uh, you know, through that process and uh, had access. Uh, you know, one of the people that was helping me out had access to the Columbus Athletic Club and. Yeah, I, I, believe me, I'm glad I brought the sport jackets because I think they stopped like at 48, you know, yeah. I was like a 51 or 52 at that time. And, uh, <laughs> but they, they did, they had their own little rack and, and sport jackets and some clip-on times for people like us, you know, yeah. in Western Ohio that just kind of show up like we're told and that's it, forget about the dress codes. But no, and, and, you know, Lee Steinberg's been a great friend now for, boy, almost, uh, you know, coming up on 35 years now and been involved and he's had some highs and lows in his life but uh you know now representing Patrick Mahomes uh glad to see he's doing what he's doing at the god I think he's 71 now I probably yeah. shouldn't say that but he's doing a fantastic job in his career happy for him uh the way he's uh you know moved forward because he's been at this game for a long time but he was one of those first guys that got that, yep. that made sure that his clients not only were getting the best deal they could get you know uh but also made sure you guys understood to uh, pay forward for lack of another term, but be involved yeah. in other things other than just playing football. And I was, I was, I've always been impressed by him. I know he had his struggles, you know, at yeah. one point in his life, uh, uh, with, with some, some problems, but he got over that. And now, you know, he, he has a seminar, you know, pretty popular seminar. He teaches, uh, would be agents, et cetera, how to deal with things, but he, he is an impressive dude, right. When you, when you look back on it. Oh, man, unbelievable. Um, you know, again, when I went through the process, Tim, and I was meeting with, you know, some of the top agents in the country, and at my last question, so to speak, okay, who are the top three agents? And they say, well, myself, so-and-so, at least I'm Yeah. So then somebody else, I'd interview somebody, last question, the top three, myself, Lee Steinberg, and so-and-so. You know, and so finally I said, i got to call this Lee Steinberg guy because he keeps, I keep hearing his name. So I played in the East-West Shrine game shortly after playing in the Rose Bowl my senior year. The Shrine game was probably four or five days later. I know it was a short turnaround for myself yeah. to, to go from playing two games. But I got a chance to meet with Lee, and I'm thinking, okay, here's this guy that's, you know, Steve Young's agent, uh, you know, Steve Bartkowski. He's had number one picks in the draft, USFL and the NFL draft. I'm thinking this is going to be, you know, this is going to be fun. He picks me up in like a blue Pinto, Ford <laughs> Pinto, and it looked like he lived at the back of it. You know what I mean? I'm kind of thinking, yeah. okay, this is how we're going to roll. So we rolled. Of course, he had a nice place up there on uh, Pan American Way over there in Berkeley, California, a nice house. And you had to kind of take a little uh, – you can either walk up the steps or take a little tram up the slide uh, yeah. to get – to this top but with beautiful views and i'm thinking okay he must have best born his house is in his cars but just a great guy uh you know he was my agent from day one and uh, he, like you said um you know just a guy that's always uh, i can count on knew what i needed and uh you're right he uh always encouraged all of his athletes to get involved in the communities whether you know their colleges uh you know or you know the communities that they're playing in 
uh, to give back. Uh, he understood that philosophy by Ralph Waldo Emerson, probably about the same time Woody came about it. He, uh, he probably, <laughs> you know, probably heard about that. And it's been part of his thing, uh, you know, wherever he's been. And uh, he's given back a lot over the years. Yeah, I was going to say, all, all you said to him, though, was show me the money, right? I mean, that's all you said <laughs> exactly. to him, right? Show me yeah. the money. You know, suppose yeah, right, movie was, that movie was and based on him. He says, he yeah. says, whenever he travels in the airport, he gets – every time, show me the money. So, yeah, yeah that, that's a lead. Yeah, Cuba Gooding Jr., Jim Lachey, well, you know, exactly. one of the same. Hey, exactly. uh, last couple things. How tough was last year on you and Paul not getting to go to the road games, you know, sitting there in front of a – basically probably a bank of – of television yeah. monitors, just, you know, just, and I even did, you know, obviously I did that on road games last year too, because I was doing that pregame show on 97.1, the fan. I really enjoyed doing that, but uh, you know, just, it's funny because you see a lot of things better on television and then, but then there's that one thing missing where you're able to like look down and just kind of take a, a survey of the, of the scene or whatever, or zoom in on one guy in particular, but how difficult was that for a, for a, you know, a, an analyst to, uh, to cover a game like that. Yeah, it's hard because I'm a guy that, uh, you know, where we are in the press box, I like to get the binoculars. And first thing I do, I've done it probably since I'm, I'm a trained player, I reach stances. Yeah. So I'm looking at the defensive lineman. I'm looking at offensive lineman. I'm looking at stances to see what's coming. You know, what do I think this is? You know, what I'm just looking at that. Well, sometimes the TV shows you that. Sometimes they don't. You know yeah. what I mean? They're showing you a know, wide receiver in motion. I don't care. You know what I mean? Yeah, motion's fine. But I can see them. I want to see stances. And then, you know, uh, I'm usually pretty good at when I see a flag. I know what it is, but I know where it's coming from and, and probably what the guy's calling on that certain thing. But when a flag pops into the TV screen, I don't know where it came from. You know, yeah. so that was yeah. kind of just, I'll let Paul talk a little bit more because I don't know. You know, I've yeah. just got to wait and see here. How many so shots? That makes it tough. And then certainly on the sidelines, you know, they show you part of it, but not what you want to see. Sometimes I want to see what, you know, between plays or commercial breaks, you want to see what coaches are talking about, what their facial expressions are. Does he seem like he's happy after that last drive? Yeah. Or does it seem like he's awful upset after that? We know why. Uh, you know, like kickers, punters this year, we had some things with that. Okay, all of a sudden he's out there kicking. You don't know, you know, usually you would know that from pre-games and all that stuff. It just made it harder. Yeah. Uh, it's not ideal, um, but we had to deal with what we had to deal with. And hopefully we don't have to do that again in the future uh, because it's just, you know, for us, obviously being at the game, you're going to feel the game. And I think uh, when you see it, when you're there live, you're expressed a little bit different. Yeah, I was going to say, you can see Justin Fields go in the tent, but did he come out? You know what I mean? Things like that. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, that yeah, tent, man. Yeah. That team yeah, holds a lot of secrets over there. <laughs> yeah. But it is interesting to see uh, what the cameras focus on because we're getting what's called the dirty feed, you know, before it goes out to TV. Yeah. And gets yeah. So what the cameras focus on before they actually show you, you know, what goes out. So interesting to see what they focus on. Sometimes watching that dirty yeah by the way that marble cliff that uh that mouse in the marble it, it cliff, up man, jumped in there again <laughs> i saw that you, we both froze. he's got that wheel going man hey yeah, uh last thing know. how about uh 
every every time I have former players on, I like to ask them this if I have time. But uh, uh, how much immediately after you know, basically, you got kind of banged up. It, as my fame, you know, as I like to recite every time, a great stat about you is you you played in the uh, in the uh, NFL East. You didn't. You never gave up a sack to Lawrence Taylor, et cetera. You were all pro, uh, uh, right on down the line. All these awards and stuff. How much did you miss football when finally it was time to hang it up? And how did you kind of replace it in your life? That that adrenaline rush that you get, you know, from play to play, from game to game. You know, it's kind of like race car drivers and 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 I think football linemen. Uh, it's it's hard to replace that adrenaline of game day, you know, of race day, uh, when you're going into turn one at Indianapolis at 235 miles an hour, are you nuts? You know, same <laughs> thing playing, playing in the line in the national football league. It's the same thing. Cause you can do a lot of the other skill position stuff. You can go out with your son in the backyard and throw the football. You know what I mean? Right. But right. how did, how much did you miss it? And how did you, how did you sort of replace it or did you replace it? Well, I mean, the thing is, is, is I think when you're playing an offensive line position, you know that that's not one of those deals you can do forever. Um, I started when I was 21, got drafted when I was 21, uh, turned 22 while I was with the Chargers, and I got a chance to retire on my 33rd birthday. And I look at it like this. This is that sometimes when you're in your 30s, in a three-point stance and you're a practice, you're thinking, okay, this is how I'm making my living, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, you just know that I, you can't do this forever. And it makes it special. It really does. Um, what do you miss? I think if you're a football player, you miss hitting. You miss the contact. I mean, that's what football players like to do. Uh, you know, Woody Hayes used to say, can he run? Can he catch? Can he hit? You know, or can he block? No, I mean, uh, I think if you do, you miss that contact. Uh, you yeah. know, going out hitting guys, knock them over. That's fun to do, right? You don't do that anymore. So, uh, you know, you channel other things. Uh, for me, you know, the best thing about not playing was getting a chance to follow my favorite team, uh, Ohio State, and uh, get a chance to call their game. So some of that excitement that you don't get, you know, from the playing part, you get a chance to see other guys accomplish your goals and um, you know that's pretty much uh, this would be my 24th year I think going into my 25th year uh, get a chance to cover the Buckeyes. I was gonna say man yeah I remember when you first started doing the color the analyst stuff you and I talked a lot we, we talked a lot through the years anyway but you know yeah. you were into it then you know and you're even more into it now which is yeah. I think is a is a, uh, I don't know compliment and more than anything else about how you love the game of football and you want to be around it as much as possible. Last last question does Ryan Day stick around here for a long time? What's your sense? And does he have staying power, in your opinion? The guy's lost two games, both of them in the playoffs <laughs> so far. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, you know? Uh, yeah. There will be a reality check eventually. There is with every coach. But what's just what's your, your take on Ryan Day? No, I, I think he is a guy that can stay here for, you know, 14, 15 type years. I, I, I really think that uh, he's been around. You know, he's a guy that went through like four moves in four years yeah. uh, trying to get to that. And, you know, having a young family like he did at that time, you know, certainly the later your wife's going to say, honey, you know, this is really not what I want to do. And you got to keep your other half happy. You know what I mean? If you want to have uh, a good, long, successful life. Uh, I've been married uh, now close to 32 years. So I, I think I got an understanding of that. You got, it takes two. And I, I think for him to, after all that moving with a young family, he gets a place to coach at Ohio state. 
there's a lot of NFL guys that would consider Ohio State as a dream job. You know what yeah. I mean? So I think for that to be his first head coaching job at Ohio State, uh, I think that's, you know, that there, there's some loyalty that Ohio State's shown to him that he would show back, you know, for those opportunities. So I, I just think that if he can continue to recruit the way he has, and I don't see that slowing down, uh, I don't see him losing key staff members, you know, uh, to other jobs, so to speak. Seems like guys want to be here. They're happy being here. That says a lot about it. And like you said, he's lost two playoff games. That's his only two loss. So the product has been fantastic on the field. And he's been great to deal with in the media. Uh, you know, Coach Meyer had his way to do it. We all respected that. Coach Day is just a little bit different to the way he does it. And we certainly appreciate and respect what he's been able to go through and, and, and the way he treats the press and the media. So I think he's having fun at it. You know, um, certainly winning championships, winning that next game will make it even more fun. But uh, when you're the head coach at Ohio State, they're going to pay you well. You're going to really recruit well. And um, certainly when you pull out your business card, so to speak, if they still have those anymore, it carries a lot of weight. Hey, Jim, I always, I always think of six more questions. You know that. Sure. I mean, just one more was, is, is, it will be probably on my tombstone. One uh, more and I'm it, out of here. Yeah, one more and you're out of there. Uh, <laughs> give, just, this is an easy answer. Give me one – give me a quick answer – what are you most interested in seeing in the spring this year besides the offensive line? What Just give me a quick answer on what has to come right with this football team in the spring. I want to see who's going to be that running back, the number one running back. You know, is, is it going to be a master Teague? Uh, Mayan Williams showed some prospects. Henderson coming in has looked very, very impressive, but it hasn't played football, you know, calendar yeah. year or so to speak. Uh, you got Crowley and Steele, some young guys that certainly, you know, want to play. It's a crowded room, and they got some highly recruited guys that are coming in there right now. So I, I think certainly at Ohio State, you know, you care about who's going to carry that ball and run it. And uh, that's, we need a guy or two to emerge from that pack. Ladies and gentlemen, Jim, Jim, Jim Lachey. I had, I had a hard time saying Jim Lachey there because you're incomparable. Jim Lachey, <laughs> well, thanks for coming on the Tim May Podcast, my man. All right, anytime, Timmy. And it won't be the last, by the way. I just want to warn you. Let's do it again. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you very All much. Right. Live from Marble Cliff, ladies and gentlemen, Jim Lachey. We'll be back in a moment. Hey, uh, awesome. I really appreciate Jim Lachey coming on the Tim May podcast, man. Uh, you know, like I said, I, I admire this young man. I still call him a young man because he's younger <laughs> than me. But, uh, you know, that little story anecdote I told about me having to get a Barney Fife jacket and him having to get a clip on tie just that we go and going to the athletic club to have lunch with, with uh, Lee Steinberg one time was, uh, was, was pretty, was pretty cool, but uh, I've known this man for a long time. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's, he's made a, a life in football, a great one uh, for him and his family. Uh, that tradition still uh, growing there with his son. And uh, it's, he's always fun to talk to. He has so many stories. When you when you've been around this game as long as he has, you've seen a little bit of just about everything. And uh, yeah, he's he did it at an extremely high level when he was playing, and and now, like we said early on, he's still doing that as a as a broadcaster. Just a you know, just a great guy. Always always incredible to get his thoughts. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. You know, they didn't they didn't make any of the road trips last year, including to the uh, championship game. Uh, the college football playoff championship game, uh, the broadcast crew didn't because because of their own company policies. But uh, concerning COVID-19, um, 
prevention or mitigation, wherever you want to call it, uh, <laughs> hermetically sealed uh, chambers they were stuck in in Shadstein Center. And clearly, you know, as, as he pointed out, like you and I've talked about, he really missed being there on those live shots. What's your gut feeling, man, right now? Do you think everybody – you think it's going to return to a little bit of normalcy uh, come the fall? What's your, what's your take on it right now? I think there will be um, complete normalcy. No, I don't think that it's going to get to that point. Um, you know, obviously we see what's happening in Ohio with the uh, easing back into it, um, around, you know, it's not even the same everywhere, but with the blue yep. jackets potential for the crew, um, you know, we know what the Browns and Bengals were able to do. Uh, everyone's starting to ease back into it. Um, you know, we'll see if it's 30% by the summer, uh, maybe 50% by September. I, I don't think that, um, you know, Ohio state situation, we know that the Big Ten wants everyone to be treated equally. Um, that's, I think, hard and, and maybe not uh, the best goal to have, um, just personally. I know that they think that that balances the playing field, but um, some of these athletic departments that are clinging for dear life, if they could add more you know, fans to the, to the stadium, it's not necessarily about just having a home field advantage to win a game. It's about funding an athletic department, which, again, we talked about uh, – a lot about this last week, um, you know, the per seat contributions and the changes to the season ticket base for Ohio state. Like you, you need people filling those if you're going to run all your other sports. So yeah. that's, that's a, a little bit of a, a an awesome digression, but um, I, I think, okay. I think 50% is about what Ohio state thinks it's going to be able to get. That would be their best case scenario probably. Um, but that's sort of where their preparations would be as of right now. And that, we've got a long way to go, of course, but I don't think that there's anyone at Ohio State. Well, I mean, I pretty, I think I could say I know there's nobody at Ohio State that really believes they could get 100000 in the horseshoe by the end of this year. But they're starting to try, try to plan and, and, and hope for, you know, 30, 40, maybe 50000 Yeah. Uh, by the end of November. You know, it's funny. I mean, I'm uh... – I'm one of the lucky, I don't know if fuse the right word now because it's in the millions, but uh, I get my second shot, my second Moderna shot on March the 17th. So I'm, uh, was that St. Patrick's Day or pretty close, you know, but uh, I'm feeling pretty lucky right now uh, about getting that. And I hope everybody else gets theirs, whether there's the Johnson Johnson one, one dose uh, shot, which believe me, I wish I could have gotten, but uh, we'll see how that goes, but I just feel pretty lucky that I've at least gotten in that line now and I'm scheduled to get that second shot. And not that you can run free and naked through the world uh, after that, but uh, it's going to be a lot better. You know, the Did interesting the thing was you brought sick? it up. What? Did the first one make you sick? No, I, I, I got a little bit of a slight little minor headache for a little while. I had like, uh, and by a little while, I mean like 20 minutes. This was like after the shot. Maybe it was just me worrying about it. But uh, and then I had a about three bouts for about four or five minutes of chills, you know, which were clearly flu-like kind of chills, but they didn't last very long. Everybody keeps telling me, of course, it's the second one uh, that you react to because that now your body is fired up, ready to fight, you know. And uh, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, We'll see if I make the spring game. If in fact there is a spring game, what, what's your what's your call? Is there going to be a spring game? What's your call on that, Austin? Yeah, I mean, and I I think that there's a good chance we've seen um, what Ryan Day did with his team last year during that uh, uh, reshuffled training camp that they you know were having mock games 
uh, sort of scrimmages multiple times in, in the horseshoe. I kind of think that that's what's going to happen uh, this year. I don't think that there would be a spring game. There will be one at the end. Yeah. Um, in my, that's my expectation. I don't think there will be one for fans to attend. Um, you know, I think that, um, you know, with restrictions that you and I and Letterman Row and all the other fine folks that cover this team would get a chance to be there, uh, similar to the way we covered games last year. But I don't think that – I don't think they're ready to open up the door, uh, especially when you still have attendance restrictions for the other sports yeah. that are ongoing, that they would have one for the public to attend. Um, but yeah, you know, they need one to go on TV. That's part of the, you know, BTN package. Right. Um so I think that's why there will be one that's officially in there. There might be a couple other scrimmages that, you know, maybe uh, we'll, we'll beg Jerry uh, Emig and, and Ryan Day to let us watch because um, when they're inside the Woody, we can't go there. Uh, even if you've got your, your vaccination now, right. uh, daily testing, limited the same amount of personnel that they had during the season, that's all in place again. Uh, but they can spread us out inside the stadium. And I hope that they take that step because normally we get to watch um, you know, that's that's our important uh, fact-finding time, three or four uh, workouts on a limited basis. I hope that that happens this year, but I don't know definitively if that will be the case or not. Yeah, you've never seen uh, 50 or 60 reporters scribbling as fast as we do when we're in there <laughs> for those open times. Who's there? Who's not? Where's who? Is, where's, is that Paris Johnson at left guard, left tackle? Dewan Jones, oh, my goodness. Uh, they've moved him to center? You know, things like that. Uh because I definitely want to see that. I want to see, for example, how they are going to shuffle that offensive line, get their five best on the field, and who the next five best are, you know, uh, et cetera. You know, but real quick, I wanted to touch on this before I go to my main topic of conversation with you, which is playing Pioneers number two. And, uh, yeah, we're going to combine this into a football golf podcast at least this once. But, uh, you know, you had that story last week about um, – and it got approved uh, in 2022. They're going to go to – for one of another term, I call it a seat license, but I mean, having to pay uh, 1500 bucks up front to join the Buckeye Club to get yeah. in the line for uh, for buying perhaps full or partial uh, season tickets. Uh, certain people are, you know, they're, they're continually trying to uh, dig new wells into that oil field, right, which is Ohio State football. Uh, and uh, just what's, what's your take on that uh, from the standpoint of, because you're, you know, you're going to hear the hue and cry, you already have, about people saying it's not fair, this and that, but you know, you've never been able to fit as many people into Ohio Stadium as who would like season tickets. But uh, I don't know what's what's the biggest complaints you've heard about that uh, plan. Yeah, I initially I heard from uh, you know the Varsity O members that didn't really have a feel for how that would work. A lot of them gave you know initially to get a lifetime membership and get seats forever. Yeah, uh, and you know I talked to Gene Smith about that. And I know that um, several other of those people that had initial concerns reached out to others that were part of that press conference and people in the ticketing office and Gene Smith himself to find out how does this work? We, we paid this, this amount for this forever. Uh, are we getting screwed on this end of the deal? And for the most part, the people that I think have reached out to them, they've got answers that make sense to them. You know, I, my personal understanding uh, is that the varsity members will be paying less for their seats than they would have in the past. And I think that across, you know, it doesn't apply to everyone. And I yeah. have, I have sympathy for the people that, you know, are about to get a bigger price tag, um, you know, but I think Ohio state 
I understand why they're doing it. Um, I think we all, this isn't, this isn't in reaction to COVID and we prefaced it that way, but the, the financial well-being of the athletic department was already changing and more difficult for them to keep up with because of the way they do things, which is not the same as everywhere where they're paying the school for all the scholarships of the, of every athlete. That's correct. $29 million. Not, not every athletic department is run that way. So, um, Ohio State need the athletic department needs that money and it was getting more difficult for them to meet that burden every single year so I understand that part I think they came up with a plan where to be quite honest that again while having sympathy for anyone has to pay more and doesn't want to I understand why that'd be frustrating um, they came up with a plan that I think gives not only options but isn't uh, extorting people to stay inside the horseshoe forever, a good, a good amount of seats that don't have any donation attached to it at all. I believe that's like 14,000, um, you know, hmm. 50, 52% or so of the stadium that is $250 or less, or maybe, maybe my numbers are not quite off, but that's the general idea that if they wanted to, they could have had $1,500 for 75,000 seats in the stadium. You know, True. The, the demand for Ohio state football is still, incredibly high even though the attendance numbers like everywhere else are more difficult to keep to keep at that elevated level so I you know I I look at it and I think that by and large Ohio State did the best fairest job that they could but it I it won't help every I mean some people are going to have to pay more and that's that sucks for them but if you're trying to come up with a solution which they had to find one you know this is probably the most equitable way they could have done it. Yeah, if people would pay 40 bucks to go see an Ohio State lacrosse game, you know, you could make up money that way. You know what I mean? But uh, that's not reality. And, and uh, you know, and, and like you were just talking about, I mean, uh, um, you, people don't understand that aspect, I don't think, clearly enough or appreciate it. it may, not be, may, may not be the right word, best word I'm going to use. You know, Ohio University, Miami, all these other division one schools in Ohio with 85 scholarships for their football program, you know, uh, much of their money comes from the general, not to, maybe not the general fund, but the activity fund, et cetera, of the university, which students uh, pay into, et cetera. You know, Ohio state, Alabama, uh, Texas, all these schools, uh, quite a few of these schools generate pay for their own scholarships in one form or fashion. And, and it's really, that's, when you think about it, that's good for the university. I mean, from the standpoint of the amount of money we're talking about infused in the university. Now it's a drop in the bucket compared, you know, to, uh, you know, the number of scholarships, whatever it is, 700, uh, 800 scholarships across the board in the athletic department compared to like 58, 56,000 students, 50,000 students, but it's still, a, it's still a significant drop in the bucket, you know, kind of like a, uh, uh, I don't know, kind of like a piece of hail that's gone through the thunderstorm about three times, you know, it's still, if it hits your car, it makes a little splat. So uh, <laughs> that's what this is all about. But, uh, you know, the interesting thing, I remember, I may have told this story on here probably 10 or 15 times. I'm 66. You know, you never know how many times you've told the story. But uh, uh, when Ohio State played at Texas in 2006, the demand for the tickets for that game was through the roof on StubHub or whatever, you know, the the uh, resale places were at that point. And I, I remember seeing DeLos Dodds talking with uh, Gene Smith in the back of the 
uh, press box to Los Dodds was a longtime athletic director at Texas, extremely well-respected. And I walked up to him and I said, you know, this would have been that game would have been smart for you guys to like hold back like a thousand tickets and just put them up to the highest bidder. And they were both at that point on the same kind of plan of everybody's ticket costs the same, no matter where you sat and where, where you bought it, you know, type thing. I mean, from the universities and stuff. And of course, both of them have gone to different ticketing strata since then. So really I ought to be getting a kickback. What do you think? <laughs> That's what I told that far. Cause I'm looking out for my, you know, long-term, uh, uh, yeah. Retirement uh, viability. Well, yeah. you, they should definitely. You were obviously consulted, and Ohio State used a. An Wait, agency. no, no. I offered my consultation offered, as I do. Offered, offered your consultation. Um, you know, maybe you should have been more careful with it because, you know, it was nine years ago that Ohio State got an outside agency that specializes in ticketing and meeting the demands, and they paid you know, to get a recommendation of what they should do. Yeah. They didn't use really any of them at that time because it's, this has been nine years where this group said to them, you should have a per seat contribution. You should have variable ticket pricing. You should have uh, some seats held back for many ticket plans for, you know, less than full, you know, by now, nine years later, they're about ready to implement just about everything that they said at that time. Yes. But it took them a while because they're, they had, been resistant to that because of the amount of people that were grandfathered into good seats and not wanting to upset, you know, those elements, th those groups of people or the academic people who wanted to be able to get donations for the chemistry building and offer football seats in exchange for that. You know, they, they did not rush into this. And that's also why I said uh, this isn't solely in response to COVID and the athletic department deficit from a year ago. They've known for a long time that they needed to make changes to the way that they sell season tickets and, and handle game day in the horseshoe. And, and you talked about Texas, Tim, you know, yeah. they're, very, they're really more aggressive, far more aggressive about this than Ohio state wanted to be. But if the demand is there and you have to meet these other demands to continue to um, ha have 36 sports or yeah. keep them but, in school. And what just happened at Texas? What just happened at Texas? They got rid of their football coach who was winning more games than he was losing but not winning in the spectacular fashion expected. I uh, had some a uh, little bit of a brouhaha with some of the uh, significant alums there, et cetera. And the next thing you know, Tom Herman's told his job is not in jeopardy. And then suddenly he's fired and they bring in Steve Sarkeesian. My point is this, you know, the pressure, if anything, just ramps up on your head football coach. When you go to these kind of ticket pricing, when you go to this kind of like revenue generation Ryan Day, you know, he, he may not even – I'm sure he didn't even notice it because, <laughs> uh, like I'm talking about that uh, hailstone, you know. But uh, but the bottom line is the, the, the pressure just ramped up again, right? I mean, you've got to keep the demand there to explain why you're uh, charging these kind of prices for you to be able to have the right to buy a ticket. That's a big part of it, and I think that that's why um, the unrest at Texas came so quickly um, because they have – Boosters that pay a lot of money and are willing to invest in the program. And, you know, I think they may have um, responded too quickly here. I'm not sure that evaluating Tom Herman off of that uh, COVID year was maybe the fairest way. Yeah. Especially if you're going to replace him with a guy who is almost identical in every single way, um, reputation wise. Uh, yeah. Hey man, he's the next. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. They hired the, the up and you know 
the offensive coordinator off the national champion, and they already did that before, and uh, including one with head coaching experience. But that's yeah. that's neither here nor there. I just think that you know that that makes it more difficult. To your point, when you start treating it professionally, and and Bobby Carpenter said this on Letterman Live on on Monday, there's no there's no way to hold out at, at this point if you're charging this amount of money. If you're doing per seat contributions, which they they were careful not to call, you know, yes. personal seat licenses like pro teams, but it, it it's pretty close to that. Uh, it quacks like a duck, and uh, I think that that's you lose the opportunity to say this is truly amateur sports, even when it's going for scholarship money, when you have ticketing zones and uh, yeah. charging thousands of dollars just to to have the opportunity to buy it. I mean. Well, I yep. think they're calling it what a donation, right? I mean, uh, so that's a that's the feel good aspect of it. But you're right. I mean, that's like uh, we need a donation. <laughs> yeah. If you follow my drift, I was making a look like a small sign of a pistol. I wish I was wearing my mask, my my K95 mask right now. But no, it's not really because people will, you know, people will come through. I mean, that's the way it is. But you're exactly right. I mean, it's. The world it can it keeps a changing. Hey, real quick. Uh, speaking of keeping a changing, I really like the way when they played the uh, U.S. Opens at uh, at uh, Pinehurst Number Two way back when. What was that? Four or five years ago, Michelle Wee I think won the women's uh, U.S. Open, which followed what by a week or two's time. Uh, the German, what was his name? Won the men's uh, side. Uh, uh, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, anyway, yeah, uh, but they took but. They took out all the rough and just went back to natural, kind of the way Donald Ross might have had it way back when, when they first opened that course uh, back then. And I, I know somebody who just got to play Pioneer's number two. Oh, that's you, awesome. What was it like playing Pioneer's number two? Was it tough? Did it live up to your expectations? Were the hogback greens there, the Donald Ross signature greens? I mean, what did you, what did you see that just uh, still sticks out with you and tell people how you played? I, I walked off uh, the green at number four and looked to my brother-in-law and all I could say was it's hard. Uh, it's, it's so cool to be there. You talked about, you know, the major championship winners, you know, all of the trophies in there, you, you walk into the clubhouse, you know, you don't walk straight to the pro shop. You walk down a long hallway that has, you know, pictures of uh, the U S opens, the U S amateurs, the U S women's opens, you know, all of the winners, all the, scorecards, all you know, all the memorabilia, it's everywhere. Wait a minute, let me interrupt you. You thought the Woody Hayes Elixir, they came up with the idea themselves, right? Well, yeah. just copied uh, Pinehurst number two. Copied copy <laughs> Pinehurst, the cradle of American golf. Um, yeah. And it's – but you, you're walking into – if you're a golf, you know, nut um, like you and I, yeah. like you're walking, walking through history in the clubhouse, but the course itself, you're, you are living and experiencing it. Seeing where the tees are for the U.S. Open and comparing it to where I'm playing, which were two levels in front of that, I can't even it, – it puts it into such perspective just how freaking good those guys are because it's – the course is – once they took that rough back out, you think about, um, you know, Payne Stewart's win and the way he had to scramble him, him and Phil Mickelson, you know, missing some fairways on the back nine and how hard it was to get out of that rough. Like that's all gone because it's been restored to the original Donald Ross version. Yeah, with the sandy waste areas, which you know you can. It it's not that stuff is not that uh, penal unless you catch a bush, which 
you might have a good lie. You might have a, a a bush that you can't get out of if the ball popped in there. My bro, one of my brothers-in-law was unfortunate enough to have one of those and um, took him a couple shots to get it out. Um, so you know the but the undulations on the green, um, the depth of some of the bunkers, it's and then just standing on the number one tee and you're talking the starters giving you you know the lesson. He I'm already nervous because I I knew I would be to go play it for the first time that, you know, my hands would shake and the blood would be pumping. And, but the thing that was in my mind was one of the last things he said. And I, I was really mad that he did because that just doubled it. And he said, every golfer you've ever heard of who's ever lived or played of any repute has played this course and had this shot that you're about to have. And that's like, just, yeah, I didn't need to hear that. Um, I've gotten to play Muirfield quite a few times. I got to play, uh, gotten to play soda twice. You know, I don't know if play is the cor- correct term. It's like a, a guy who just started playing the guitar when I get out there, you know what I mean? I'm not sure where my, where the fingers go uh, on the frets, but, uh, but the bottom line is uh, every time I play a course of any repute, I think those very same thoughts. That's why I've always said, if I ever get, ever get the luxury uh, of playing like Pebble beach, for example, I got to play it twice. Cause the first time you're just going to be going walking around there like, <laughs> you know, I mean, I've actually stood on the 10th green at Pebble Beach a long time ago. Just, yeah, it was, I was in all just standing there, you know what I mean? Because I was in Carmel by the Sea with a buddy of mine, and uh, and uh, and we were just, you know, we, we, it was just cool, you know, because you can walk right down the right down the bottom of the, uh, the of the street to go through the middle of Carmel, make a right hand turn, and walk down the beach, and walk up and stand on the 10th green. You know, I don't think you still do that, but I did it then. Yeah. And so that was cool. But you're, I just bottom line though. Uh, what makes a course tough in your mind? What what makes Pinehurst number two pass the aura of it? Yeah. What 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 just stood out in your mind of playing and make it brief because we got to get going here. But uh, okay. yeah, what, what just made the, what made it tough? It's you know this it's a second. A lot of places claim this, but it's truly a second shot course because it's not that long. So yeah, you, you don't even really need to hit driver if you don't want to. I mean, you can you can give yourself a lot better chance at it. And the, the shorter a club that you have into these greens, the better off you are. But, you know, there's a lot of trees and there's a lot of that, you know, native native area with, with bushes that would be unpredictable if you miss those fairways. Um, but it's, it's so difficult to chip there. It's so difficult to score with your short game. Um, obviously, if you hit it in a bunker, um, getting it up and down is going to be a challenge. Um, even chipping it, close within 10 to 15 feet you you feel really good about that because if you miss anywhere long if you take it past the hole boy you could be you could be well long you could have 20 30 40 yards maybe depending on what slope you caught yeah to try and come back um so it's if they're difficult to the greens are just you know you have to be locked in at all times Uh, i took a lot of putters from uh, around the green just because you know, I, I felt more – whatever you felt most comfortable with is what you needed to do because getting it to 10 feet was a win. And, you know, I was – I made a bunch of – I made a, a good amount of putts. I told you this when you texted me on Friday. I really had to grind. Uh, I'm nowhere near as good as I used to be. But I, I made a lot of putts to shoot 93. I also had three that flipped out that uh, I'll never forget because I was really – I obviously made another mistake that could have got it under 90, but 
I think about those three lip outs and uh, how uh, they came out, they come spinning out of a Pinehurst cup. Yeah. Uh, and how close I was to like really having something cool, you know, to add to that resume. Um, and as you said, you know, to go play it again, you know, I, Maybe it, maybe it won't rain a little bit on the back nine like it did, although it didn't keep us from playing. It was the coldest of the four days when I was down there in North Carolina to play number two. That's fine. I got to finish it. But, you know, I know that I, could, I can hang around, but if you let your guard down for a second on any hole, it will bite you. In yeah, a I was going to say, you know you're playing a special course when you have a buddy like me. I don't know if you consider me a buddy. I consider you a buddy. When you have a buddy like me, text you in the middle of round wanting to know how you're doing <laughs> I mean, I don't do that when you play, you know, <laughs> A, B, or C, you know, around Central Ohio. But uh, interesting. I really did a good job, though, Tim. Like, I did. I, I wish that I had taken more pictures, but I, I, I. This was a time when I was just like, you know what? I want to let's let's actually act like it's nineteen ninety nine and get yeah. the phone away and and just really enjoy it because, uh, you know, I don't. I hope to go back. The deal I got was really good, and I'm. It, I hope they do it every year. It sounds like from the people that I talk to, they will. So maybe I'll get to play it again. Um, but you don't. Nothing's ever guaranteed. So wanted to enjoy it. I actually. I know you're trying to end the show, but I had so behind 18, they have a restaurant, a bar, and people will just hang out there. Like Saturday afternoon, we played <clears throat> number eight, and then came over there to eat because everybody just stays there. They watch people finish on 18. Um, you're like 10 feet behind the green. So there are like four or five people waiting for us on Friday afternoon when it's cold and misty. But I had, you know, 15-foot, 20-foot putt going left, back left pin placement. And I thought to myself, man, if I can just make this one, it's long enough, it's paying Stewart range, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. Perfect read. I think I, if it had missed the hole, it probably would have gone off the back and I would have had to make seven, but putter in the air, back leg up, full celebration, five people watching, just clapping up. And it was for five because, uh, because I had been in one of those waste areas, but to make a putt there, oh yeah, statues just to my left, as I had a good, you know, something in mind of how to execute it, make sure to get the right, you know, right arm in the air. Um, that, that's the kind of stuff that you can't get back. Yeah. What's interesting, if people around uh, Central Ohio, I think a lot of the people that listen to this podcast around Central Ohio, if you want to get a taste of Pinehurst number, Pinehurst number two, when I worked at the Columbus Dispatch all those years, I got to do a story each year on a golf course somewhere in the uh, Central Ohio area, and I did one on Granville Golf Club. I think now it's the Den – what is it now? The Denison Golf Club, uh, Denison University Golf Club. But uh, – but uh, Donald Ross, of course, designed that course. It was nap of the earth. I mean, follow the contours, very little earth moving. But he used several of the holes there as his patterns, as basically his prototypes for several of the holes that are that are at Pinehurst number two. And uh, I wrote about that, but they've got the diagrams actually up on the wall there, the facsimiles of those diagrams. And it's very interesting. I mean, Donald Ross, I mean, he designed Sciota, you know, I can name you a I could sit here and name you probably a thousand courses he designed because it seemed like he did. I, I called him the Johnny Appleseed of golf course design because <laughs> it seemed like that's what he was there in the in the early to mid uh, uh, first 20, 30 years of the of the 20th century going around uh, the United States. And 
but it was really interesting because you can get definitely get a taste of it, and including the hogback greens. I think Columbus Country Club is a Donald Ross design, if I remember correctly. It is those hog several of the hogback greens in them, and uh, which uh, for one, for if you're not familiar with that, it's just kind of like this rising hump in the middle of these greens, which makes no sense except <laughs> to confound you and ruin your day. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you you got to walk where uh, legends have walked, man. That's always a good feeling, right? One of the yeah, and one of the coolest parts, Tim, is that um, you know, however people may or may not feel about playing number two in the history part, like just being at this place, uh, it's people who love. You're surrounded by people who love golf, and um, all you know, everybody trying to be their best at it, but just having fun with it. Yeah. As well, there was because the putting green is one of the coolest putting greens that you're ever going to find. It's I, I need to check so I can tell the story better in the future. But I mean, it, it had to be a uh, hundred yards long and 50 yards wide. You know, they've got an 18 hole setup there. It's called this'll do. And, you know, impossible putt after impossible putts, you play 18, but gets later in the day, they've got, they bring out, you know, a beer cart. They put it right there by number one. Every hole has, you know, drink holders. So you have, you know, 500, a thousand people out here, on this putting green, just we, putting. You know, a couple guys wanted to, to join us. We put, you know, six, eight, doesn't matter. Everybody getting together. There was a group that they had a rule where you had to putt with one hand and, and a cocktail in the other. I didn't do that because I wanted to make putts yeah. and win some money. Um, but anyway, you know, everyone out there till the sun goes down, you know, watching each other, misery, good putt, bad putt, uh, having drinks. And then the par three course, the cradle is right next to it. Turn on some music the later in the day when the serious golf is over. Um, another, you know, stand to get some beverages behind one of the greens and by the, one of the tees over there. And you just had, you know, 2,000, 3,000 people that, uh, you know, loved being part of the game, wanted, wanted to hang out, talk golf, do some of the stuff with less pressure. And, you know, people, yeah. we, we stayed out there till I couldn't even see the scorecard in my hand putting. It's just that's, that's my personal, like, in Nirvana. It was one of the coolest places I've ever been. Maybe the IRS needs to, the IRS needs to set up a substation right off the edge of that green. What do you think, putting green? Uh, be yeah. interesting to see. Uh, keep it under, uh, yeah, keep it under six hundred dollars. Yeah, and don't use a check. Uh, but anyway, I digress. Well, hey, uh, awesome as, as usual. It was awesome uh, uh, time here, and for the people who tuned out after we started talking golf, and then maybe you're not going to be my ever be my best buddy. Uh, but I digress. Bottom line is I enjoy talking golf, especially about big-time courses and guys who have played them, a uh, few that I've played, et cetera. We'll get into that some other time. But, uh, you know, it's really interesting. When we, when we come back next week, we're not going to make this always central to Ohio State football because there are a lot of people listening to this podcast who want to know what we think about maybe the national trends, uh, things that are going on. But uh, next week we're going to deep dive a little bit into – a couple of the areas on the high state football team that, that are going to be definitely addressed in the spring. And I promised this a few podcasts ago, but we're going to talk about the secondary, you know, what, what's going to change there. What's going to change from a coaching standpoint there, you know, uh, um, just all kinds of personnel wise, what are we looking at? I mean, with, 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 with uh, Sean Wade gone, but still, there, there are going to be changes personnel-wise back there. Guys getting a chance that didn't get a chance last year maybe to really prove themselves. So when we come back, then you'll be up for that. Won't you be won't you awesome to talk about that? Always. Well, I'll tell you what, until then, this is Tim May for my buddy Awesome Ward. We'll see you then.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.